I never was able to shame myself then. It only made me heavier and heavier. But I, I think it's realizing how much that shame really drives you 100 miles an hour in the wrong direction. Losing weight isn't easy, and some days we can feel like we need some extra help. Welcome to the Weight Loss Warrior podcast, the show where we share inspiring real-life success stories from normal, everyday people like you and I. Listen to how each of our guests managed to overcome their personal challenges to lose the weight they wanted as they talk about the secrets to their success and give great advice that you can benefit from. Become part of our tribe and use the Weight Loss Warrior podcast as your source of motivation and support to help you on your weight loss transformation. And now your host and friend, Carl Radley. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a brand new episode of the Weight Loss Warrior podcast with me, your host, Carl Radley. I hope you're doing well today, and I have got an amazing guest for you. Her name's Amy. She's from New York, and she's lost an incredible amount of weight, and it's completely changed her life. Amy, welcome to the show. How are you today? I'm well. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome, and thank you for joining me. I'm very excited to hear more about your story. As you know, I I found you actually in a magazine in an airport in the UK. I was traveling back from visiting some friends and family and I always pick up a few magazines there for inspirational stories and and found you. And at the time didn't realize that you were actually based in New York because I thought Bella, if I'm honest, I'd never really read Bella before starting the podcast, as you could probably imagine, (laughs) and um, thought that it was only in the UK. So it was a pleasant surprise to know uh, that you're there in New York. Why don't you tell us a bit about yourself? Sure. Well, with the idea that you saw me, a picture of me in some airport across the world from where I am now is sort of bizarre to me because I am not, I'm not a very, I'm pretty shy. Uh, and the idea that I, you know, have shared my story that was so painful for me for so long in my life. And now, you know, that it, I, I am using myself to sort of, you know, to spread the word about that hope that it's that what I've done is possible. Um, it's just bizarre to me that you would be in some random airport across the world. But yeah, um, my story began when I was a very young kid. My in terms of my weight loss story or my weight story began when I was very young. I was overweight my whole life. I come from a family mostly of people that most of my family is overweight um, or was, and um, it was very much a theme. In our family, like I was always starting a diet. My mother and I were always, you know, starting some new diet, some version of, you know, counting calories or Weight Watchers in the States, which is a program. Um, Diet was always being discussed. It was every Monday there was a new diet being started. And there was always so much hope and optimism attached to each new diet. And and then there was the failure. There were feeling, you know, that, that, that like, hopes dashed, right? Like every time you couldn't stick to the diet. And I I couldn't figure out why I couldn't figure it out. You know, I was otherwise smart. I had friends and family and loved ones. And I just, you know, the, I, I, the irony of all of this is that I was never not on a diet. And yet somehow I, I like to say, or I don't like to say, but I, the truth of the matter is, is I kind of dieted my way to over 300 pounds for most of my life. And then for parts, a big chunk of my adult life, I was over 400 pounds. I was morbidly obese for my entire adult life and really couldn't figure out why I couldn't figure it out. I just thought I am so irrevocably broken that like there must be something so wrong with me 
that I can't do this. It never dawned on me to question the whole system of dieting and the diet culture and the and the diet industry to to say, hmm, maybe it's not me. You know, maybe it, I'm not the one that's broken here. What's interesting about that, Amy, is that I don't think that's by accident. I feel that we get swept up into diet culture and diet culture exists first and foremost because of the money that it generates for certain companies. Now, if a company can bring you in as somebody and show you that glimmer of hope and allow you to lose weight on their plan, be it temporarily, but enough to kind of reel you in and hook you, the moment you stop that plan and the weight comes back, again, it's yourself who you blame, not the plan or the culture or the society or everything else. Absolutely. It's, uh, well, I stopped doing this, so I've failed. And the guilt and the shame sits with you. And then your, your way out, your way to succeed is back on the diet. There's not a lot of money to be gained for not creating repeat customers. The same goes for the food industry, for the processed food industry, as it goes for the diet industry, right? There's not a lot of money to be made if we only buy one bag of chips or one package of a product, or if we start a diet once and succeed, right? There's just, they are making an industry of repeat customers. And then the same goes for the pharmaceutical industry, right? It's, they all sort of work in tandem. And so I, you know, I didn't really quite understand that, but I also think it's important to point out, you know, I was 50 when I started my, what I consider my final weight loss journey, you know? although I'm still on it. But I think about the sort of, you know, the first Weight Watchers meeting I went to with my mother, I was about three or four years old. You know, I wasn't a member. I just tagged along with her. I was so young. The woman looked me up and down. The woman that weighed in my mother looked me up and down and spelled something that started with an O. And at three or four, I already had knew she was calling me fat. I couldn't spell the word. I didn't know what word she was spelling. But I asked my mother on the drive home, what's a word that means fat that starts with an O? Because I knew she was already calling me fat, you know, but really, if you think about it, so that was 40, almost 50 years of trying and quote unquote failing at various diets. And as you said, you know, you don't blame the diet, you blame yourself. So what is the psychological impact of failing, quote unquote, failing for 50 years of something, right? You know, the minute even now, even with all that I know and all I've learned over the last seven or eight years, you know, the minute something goes a little bit wrong, I fall back really easily into that sort of like, oh, you had a good run here, but it's all, it's all over because I have 50 years of experience to, to prove that to me, you know, that it's all going to be gone. And I think with that as well, our brain is constantly looking for evidence, trying to keep us safe, move away from pain. And if, if our journey does start to become difficult at any point, it's almost as if our coping mechanism is to revert back what our mind considers our comfort and our safe place. Although consciously we know that's not true because that leads to weight gain, that leads to shame, guilt, feeling depressed about the way we are. But in that moment, our brain's just looking for that evidence just to try and pull us away from that difficult moment. And that works against us. And when you have got 50 years of, of evidence there in that, you know, the diet won't work, the fact that you can't do this, you're going to fail, it's very difficult to break that cycle when you have habits that are so firmly fused and hardwired into your, your being. 
And I would imagine as well, Amy, if you don't mind me asking, do you think that part of this, having someone as close as your mum on this journey with you for so many years was also, it was a support, but at the same time, it was almost as if you had each other. So when the, when the diet wasn't working, when it was failing, it was kind of like you, you could seek comfort in each other and not to excuse the fact that you were failing, but at least you had that comfort and you weren't on your own in failing. Yeah, I guess. I've, I haven't given that one a whole lot of thought. Uh, yeah, I think, you know, in, in many ways, it was like we were a bit of a team, you know. And so, you know, my mom, she's passed already for many years. But, you know, and I one of my regrets is that I, I didn't discover sort of what worked for me until after she had gone. But I wonder, you know, it, it does beg the question which you sort of hinted at, which is sort of like, well, maybe it's not a coincidence. You know, maybe I sort of needed to do this on my own and kind of come up with some sort of ownership of this process that had nothing to do with her, had nothing to do with our relationship, had nothing to do, you know, I just really needed to figure this out for myself. And then what was that, Amy? What was that thing after all of those years that was different? Yeah. So my mom passed away very unexpectedly. She had type 2 diabetes and um, I knew that I was headed on the same path, you know, given a couple more years, I would have probably been full-blown diabetic. I was pre-diabetic, uh, but I, I knew that I, that was going to be the path that I was on. I was, as I said, I was over 400 pounds and I did not think losing weight was in the cards that I, I just couldn't figure out why I couldn't figure it out, as I said earlier. So I was about to have bariatric surgery. I had done a little bit of time and work with intuitive eating, which I still firmly, I ended up gaining about 40 pounds eating, quote unquote, intuitively. But I realize now why that was. And we, I'll go into that in a bit when I talk about what I eventually did do to lose weight. But um, I knew from intuitive eating that that cutting my stomach to the size of a, of a pea or, you know, using any kind of means like that was probably not going to work for me. In the end, I probably would have lost some weight, but I knew in my gut that it wasn't going to work because I was so completely blaming myself, you know, but I, I just knew that it wasn't the right call for me. And yet I was going to go ahead with it because I just thought I just pretty much wanted to be a smaller fat person. I just I was, you know, living in a body that was too large to, you know, navigate the real world. And I wanted to just be more comfortable in my skin. My, my, the greatest goal for myself was to just be a smaller fat person. Right. And so I thought, let me just get the surgery, lose a little bit of weight and maybe, maybe I'll be able to figure it out then. And I, but I was terrified and I, I really knew that it was the wrong call for me. I think it can be an effective tool for some people. There's lots to be said about it, but it would have been the worst thing for me. And, um, but I made the appointment anyway, I was about to go through with it. And I just did a random search online because I thought, you know, if I have this surgery, I'm going to have to change my diet anyway. So let me try one more thing, you know, and I grew up in the generation that sort of vilified fat and said, you know, butter and red meat is awful for you. And so I never really gave low carb or keto or Atkins a real try because I was always told low fat calories, it's that's moderation is the only way this isn't, you know, Weight Watchers is the sensible way to lose weight. So I never really gave low carb any attention. But I thought, 
you know, I came across a website online and I came across low carb and I thought, let me, let me try this for two weeks before I was going to the surgeon. I'm nothing to lose but weight, right? Let me just give it a try. Um, anyway, I, I did it. There was a two week challenge on the website. I tried it for a couple weeks and I could feel almost instantly that there was a shift in me. Now, now I sort of understand a little bit more about the science behind what the shift was, but I could feel there was a big change. And that was almost eight, next, next, in a couple of weeks, it'll be eight years. Um, so I canceled the surgery. I certainly didn't lose enough weight in that first couple of weeks to make a difference in needing to lose 200 something pounds, but I could feel a shift that this feels different to me than all the millions of other diets that I had tried. So yeah, I I went full on with keto and low carb, um, and I have gone on to lose and maintain really, which is the goal here is to maintain. I've lost over two hundred and twenty pounds, and nobody is more shocked than I am to be sitting here, to be talking about this, to be in the body that I live in, to be in a magazine, you know, that I'm talking about sort of the one topic that was so brutally painful for me to talk about my whole life. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And congratulations, Amy, because you've you've overcome so many things there. And just in the short time we've been speaking, you've mentioned so many things, including, you know, nearly having surgery. And I've spoken bariatric surgery was something I knew I will say nothing about before starting the podcast. And having met a number of people from the bariatric community, people who have changed their lives from having surgery. For those people who have been on the podcast have all said that they knew that was the right decision for them. And there was something for them that they knew had to happen. And the the shift in their mindset was almost instant. And Eric, uh, the last gentleman who has been on the show, he spoke about literally waking up from the operation, feeling lighter, like he'd lost weight. And he weighed the same, but he just felt different. There was a shift that took place. But the fact that you recognised before having the surgery that it just wasn't for you, I think was was probably very important. And and quite honestly, you may still be obese now had you've gone through with that knowing it wasn't for you because the outcome could have been completely different. But trying something different and not giving up on yourself, I think was so important as well. And like you said, you noticed that shift. And I can imagine that just the changing diet, regulation of hormones, things that took place as you actually went to low carb was enough to, like you say, feel energized and a difference in yourself, which you know is amazing, was enough to spur you on and do that. Was it easy going through that when you, I guess I'm going to ask in two parts if I can. First of all, knowing that you had a long way to go on your journey to get to where you potentially wanted to be. But also with so many years of eating in a certain way to suddenly change it and essentially remove a food group from your diet, which I would imagine would have been quite prominent in everything that you ate leading up to that moment. Yeah. So the question, was it easy? Um, No, it was not easy. But I will say 
it was the easiest attempt at weight loss I've ever had. Is it easy? No. I had 50 years of quote unquote failure, like we talked about earlier. I, um, you know, many ways, low carb is definitely sort of having a a social media moment. You know, it's it's kind of a little bit more popular these days, but it is still in many ways considered it, you know, we have to sort of fight the good fight. I go to doctors now and I, they tell me that, you know, low carb is going to kill me and, you know, I'm going to die from all the butter and, and steak that I eat or whatever. They say um, it's we're outliers many in many ways, right? We sort of have to fight the mainstream in some ways. But in terms of, you know, what you hinted at there was, you know, yes, what what I didn't realize early on why it was easier, you know, in those first couple of weeks is exactly what you said is hormonally like I was eating in ways that was not completely putting me on a roller coaster of hunger and cravings and a cycle of just you know, basically in really sort of layman's terms, the food that I was eating was making me hungrier rather than satisfying me. And so hunger, what I have learned, will always win. You know, like it's hunger is like, you know, if you go to a casino and you're winning, right? Eventually, if you stay long enough in the casino, you're going to lose all your money and the and the house is going to win. And the same goes with hunger, right? If you stay hungry long enough, hunger always wins out. Your body is smart and it, it will get what it wants. And so I, what I didn't realize is how the previously, how the food that I had been eating was just making me hungrier. And because I associated hunger with sort of like a growling of the stomach or things like that, it didn't, I, I never really knew how much the brain impacted my drive to eat. I just thought I was just messed up, right? Like I just thought I'm broken. There's something wrong with me. I am an expert diet breaker. I could gain weight eating low carb. I mean, I, I, I have gained weight eating low carb, you know, but it gives me a fighting chance at keeping myself satiated and nourished and reduces my appetite and cravings to the point where I have a fighting chance of doing what I have done. It's easy to break low carb too, though. Of course. So what you've just explained there, and without being a, an expert in nutrition, my understanding is that the imbalance of hormones, when you're eating carbs, which essentially are sugars, that create the insulin spikes that occur in your body, but put our hormones off balance. There's two key ones, and I'm not going to try and guess them. I can't, there's one begins with G. I can't remember the name of it, but leptin and ghrelin. Thank you, yeah. leptin and ghrelin. too, because one is for for hunger, and the other is for feeling full. If I understand mm-hmm. correctly, and when they're not regulated, essentially what's happening is your your body's telling you you're, you're hungry when it's not. Your body's also not telling you when you're full. The normal cue when you would normally start to feel full isn't there, so you end up overeating, constantly thinking you're hungry. And that cycle just continues because the more you feed into it, the less chance your hormones have to actually rebalance and get into a normal state. The carbs that you're eating that your body converts basically to sugar, when, as you said, your insulin spikes to get the the sugar out of your blood. But when that blood glucose drops, which it will, that's when you're driven to eat, right? It's, it's, it's really so immediate, right? It's, it's like, it's within an hour or two, like you... Your stomach could still be full, but when your blood sugar drops, 
it's the brain that drives the ship in that case. And that is why bariatric surgery wouldn't have worked because you could cut my stomach to the size of a pea, but my brain is going to still tell me eat, 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 eat because the carbs that I have eaten will spike my insulin, my blood sugar is going to drop as a result. And then two hours after eating a huge dinner of carbs, I will be hungrier for more carbs, right? It's the brain is looking for a reward in that case. The brain is going to tell you to get more carbs and usually it's carbs and fat, truthfully. And then so you eat that, your stomach is still full, you eat the carbs and the fat, and then your blood sugar goes up again. And then you're back on that roller coaster of hunger and cravings and eating and hunger and cravings. And you never really get off that roller coaster, you know? And so in that first couple of weeks where I was low carb, that's the shift that I felt. You know, now I understand what that looks like. You know, people can wear a, a continuous glucose monitor now. So, and, and you can see that in real time. You can see that cycle of hunger and cravings. And often it's not only is it hunger and cravings, it sort of also translate into diet and binge and diet and binge. And it's like it's that same roller coaster cycle of just ne- you can never get out of it. And so By eating low carb, you basically keep your blood sugar as steady as possible. I mean, there are all sorts of other downstream hormonal effects, you know, as you talked about. But I think the most immediate one, like in the moment, it's getting off of that blood sugar roller coaster and cycle of hunger and cravings and eat foods that don't make you hungrier. That's really it's so it's as simple as that. You know, it's like if you're going to eat, at least eat foods that are not going to make you hungry. Of course. And then. In parallel to that is the psychological impact, I think, that you experience in that you mentioned binging there. Now, if your brain is telling you that you need to eat, you've just had a meal, you shouldn't be hungry, and you find yourself binging, the shame that's attached to that, the feeling of I can't do this, it's too hard, it's not even coming from that place of necessarily not being able to do it. Your brain is literally telling you and giving you that cue to go and eat more food. And I think that for somebody without having the awareness that there are other things happening internally pushing you to do that. It's not because you're a failure. It's not because you're weak willed. It's not because, you know, that's the only thing you know how to do. It's because the you have chemicals inside of your body pushing you to do that. And that's such a difficult thing, I think, to overcome for people because you're, you're battling against your own brain. And so many people who I've spoken to who have emotionally eaten or still emotionally eat, myself included, not being able to feel that you can stop it or even sometimes finding yourself halfway through a binging episode and thinking, how did I even get here? Is such a difficult thing to navigate and to break from. Because if you feel powerless to how you actually got into that situation, you obviously don't really feel full of faith that you can stop it or break from it because it feels like it controls you. Well, yeah, I think what you talk about is it's it's a little more complicated than that because here's the other piece of this that I didn't quite grasp until not that long ago is that oftentimes the foods that we are eating are literally designed in a lab for us not to be able to resist them. You know, they are designed in a lab by scientists to hit every bliss point in our brains and on our tongues so that we are repeat customers, right? You know, we talked about this, I think, before we even started or maybe we had started recording. Yeah, that was before recording, I think. I told you I do this. I have a habit of of extracting, you know, having really hot topics and then hit and record afterwards. But let's talk about that. Yeah, you know, the food, the food industry, the diet industry, 
the pharmaceutical industry. There's no money to be made if we are buy something once and never need it again. So they, all of those industries are set up for us to quote unquote fail in order to be repeat customers. And so the foods, that, you know, a lot of the, the hyperpalatable processed foods that we're eating and that our, our stores are filled with, um, they're designed to hit every spot in our brain so that we keep eating and eating and eating them. So, you, so there's that piece of it, right, that there's a whole industry that's set up for us to overconsume. And then you factor in what's the easiest source of comfort, right? We learn it from the time we're babies to, you know, being full-blown adults where we have to take responsibility for it ourselves or or we take too much responsibility for it, but you know the what's the easiest source of comfort? It's right in the in the kitchen cabinet, right? It's a bag of chips or or cookies or you know something like that. And so then we're sort of back into that matrix of eating it, not being able to stop eating it. And then we you know factor in sort of what we also talked about before was that learned helplessness of like, oh, see, I, I binged again. I'm so screwed up. I I am just a failure. I am just you know, a complete failure at this. And so you sort of like, why bother? And then you're, so you're back into it. So it's like sort of all roads, all funnels are leading in the same direction. I think that you have to sort of understand no matter what diet you are on, no matter what diet paradigm you choose, wherever you go, even through, if it's surgery or whatever you choose, you have to sort of be aware of what you're up against. You're up against an entire system and industries and things that are designed to make us quote unquote fail. To allow them to succeed. Yeah. And that is, that's not our fault, but it is our responsibility if we want to reclaim our health. Of course. Now, Amy, you seem extremely knowledgeable and you've helped me out on a couple of occasions here where I've messed up my my hormone names, but (laughs) how did you come to to having this knowledge that you've acquired and not only that how has it impacted your life since losing the weight because you know and this is a bit of a leading question because we've spoken about this before hitting record but I'd love you to share with the listeners the work that you do now and how your own journey has impacted you know exactly that what you do now yeah so I I had lost of the 220 or so pounds I've lost I had lost about a hundred of it doing low carb and I I had a little bit of help along the way and I but I was starting to sort of flounder you know it was a long journey I was still facing losing another hundred so pounds and I had started to put back on a little bit of weight and uh, I knew that I needed to I needed some Thing else. I needed some accountability, some support. So I reached out to a doctor. I had met through some other people. Uh, he's a local in New- to the New York area. I reached out to him. He himself had lost 150 pounds through low carb and keto. And I, I needed a doctor that wasn't going to say to me, you're going to kill yourself doing keto, basically. And he's a real doctor. <laughs> you know. So I went to him and, and um, he had a, an interesting approach to low carb. Certainly the rules were the same, but his approach was sort of, he gave me a foundational understanding of sort of hunger and, and what I talked about before about how hunger really always will win. You know, and sort of approaching this from, you know, I had my approach to low carb was like I was weighing and tracking and measuring and sort of I, I was basically taking my version of Weight Watchers and translating it into low carb. I was weighing and tracking and but I was instead of tracking points, I was tracking macros and I, I was very rigid in my approach. And he said to me one day he looked at my food logs and he kind of was uncharacteristically dismissive of them, you know, and he said, well, are you hungry? 
And I really, I looked at him like he was crazy, like he had three heads. And I was like, what do you care if I'm hungry or not? Like I stayed in my macros. I did my job, you know, I stayed on the diet, so to speak. And, you know, he asked me, I go, you're hungry. And the, just the question was a big shift for me, like in terms, you know, no, no, no doctor had certainly ever asked me that before. Anyway, so, you know, I, I worked with him for a while. I reversed course on the gaining of the weight and I went on to lose the 20 that I gained. And I went on to eventually, as you know, lost 220 or so pounds. And, you know, when I first discovered low carb, I was infuriated because I really had felt I had been given such really awful advice by so many quote unquote experts for so many years, right? My parents took me to doctors as a kid and nutritionists and dietitians and every program. And, you know, I grew up in outside of New York City. There was no end to the amount of quote unquote experts that I could have seen. And I did see in New York, you know, when I went and discovered low carb, and as I said, it was not easy, but it was certainly the easiest thing that I had ever done. Not easy, but easier. Uh, I was so mad that I had been given such bad information. And so, you know, when I was working with this doctor, whose name is Dr. Tro, T-R-O, I said to him, you know, I really want to help other people not go down the same road that I did. Like nobody should have to get bad advice for 50 years before they sort of do a random Google search and come across a diet that ended up saving their life, you know? And so he was just starting out his practice at that point. And uh, he said, well, you know, come board with me and, and as a health coach. And, you know, so I ended up getting trained as a health coach and certified as a health coach. And I've been with him for the last five years. And I work with people all day now talking to them about, well, I think, you know, you talked about it a little bit earlier in telling me a little bit about your podcast, but I I think that what I have to offer them, I have a little bit of expertise, but what I really think that the first and foremost is what I offer them is hope. Because this, I did, I had no hope that this was possible for me. I mean, I said, you know, when I was going to go for bariatric surgery, my greatest wish for myself was to be a smaller fat person. It never dawned on me that I would lose as much weight as I did and it never dawned on me that I would be in a magazine. And it is not comfortable for me to talk about myself. It is bizarre to me that I am in a magazine showing pictures of myself, the most painful weights that I could, you could imagine. But I feel like it is the only redemption that I have for what I consider to be somewhat tortured advice that I got for 50 years, right? So if I share those parts of me now, because it's all I have to make that not a waste of time. If I had any superpower whatsoever, it's I can offer some hope that it's possible. Because I think as well, and, and I've got your magazine in Bella, and it was the Bella Diet Edition. They've actually done the, the calculations for us at 29 stone before in your before photo. And like you say, they're very painful photos to share. Even look at when you're in that position. And it's conversations you know, I have with a number of people and it's one of the things that a lot of people who I coach with or people who listen to the podcast probably now are thinking that having photos taken of themselves is one of the most anxiety creating situations that can happen. And now obviously if you're taking a selfie, you can choose the angle, you can take 30 photos, get it however you want it. But if you're in a situation, a public social setting and someone gets the camera out or somebody takes even worse, takes a photo of you without you realizing 
and you see it. It can be so derailing and so hurtful. So I understand completely why. And, you know, for you, that is difficult to share. And then on the other side of that, you have your your now, your after photos, your your life that you've created since losing weight. And you used the word hope earlier. And I think it's so important because for a number of people who will be listening to this now, hope is lacking. And they currently only have those before photos, not the after photos yet. So the work that you do as a health coach, I'd like to ask if you have any advice for those people who perhaps are in that situation now, who are looking for that next step or just a way of finding hope in the same way that you did, Amy? Yeah, you know, it's it's a complicated topic. I think um, know that it's possible. Know that it's not going to be perfect. Know that messing up is part of the journey. It's part of the process. How you recover quickly from that is really the make or break. You know, you talked about photos before, and I don't want to get too, I, I don't want to ignore the question, but it just reminded me of, you know, even now, if I see a photo of myself, it can set me off into a, a tizzy of, oh God, you still look like this. And what I didn't quite realize is how much that was fueling overeating in the past. You know, that sort of, rather than, you know, that shame and that harsh self-judgment, rather than help it, which it never does, right? It, I never was able to shame myself then. It only made me heavier and heavier. But I, I think it's realizing how much that shame really drives you 100 miles an hour in the wrong direction, right? It doesn't ever help. And so I think you just need to realize sort of what you're up against, like what I talked about, like that, that system of diet and industry and foods and, and all of that is not our fault, but it is our responsibility. But also recognize this is this journey is not going to be perfect, right? And so how quickly you recover from that quote unquote misstep, that's the superpower. If you can recover quickly, that is that's that's the key. Right. It's not, you know, this let's say you're dieting for a couple of weeks and being quote unquote perfect. And then you get on the scale and it, it doesn't move. Right? What are you going to tell yourself? How are you going to get through that moment? I now, when I work with people as a health coach, what we really do is try very much to help people work practically to prepare for all the things that have led them off track in previous attempts. So we make them do a self inventory of their problem people, their problem places, their problem times of day, the problem situations, the problem foods, right? And so if you can assess all of those things along with sort of why you want to lose weight, what's your, what are the great goals for yourself and what are the really sort of mundane things? It could be as important as I want to reverse course on a, a health diagnosis like di like type 2 diabetes, or I want to fit into a pair of jeans, or I want to fit into a dress that I want to wear to a wedding, you know. It's all of those are important. But I think also doing that self-inventory of your of all those problems, if you take it just a really without too much shame, without too much judgment, because the shame will will block you from getting help as opposed to saying, okay, the last time I tried to lose weight, I really struggled with like nighttime eating, you know, after the kids are asleep and uh, the day was done and I sat down to watch some television and I really had 
trouble not eating chips at that time. Okay, so we help prepare people with practical strategies ahead of time for just that scenario. So if you struggle with nighttime eating, first of all, be super full from dinner and then have some low carb chips. Get the low, you know, make sure you have low carb chips in the house. Get some, you know, those low carb chips are not necessarily weight loss foods. What they are are ways to, what you know, what I talked about before, they're ways to keep that blood sugar steady so that on the other side of eating the chips, you're not increasing your cravings, increasing your hunger. Um, eventually, you know, if you're chronically overeating the, even the low carb chips, then we talk a little bit more about that relationship to food and other strategies and other techniques for sort of, you know, addressing those. I think it's amazing advice, Amy, because something I do as well and, and have found very, as part of my own journey, but to help other people as well, is the fact that it isn't about just completely changing your behavior from one day to the next and almost getting into this habit of punishing yourself or thinking that you can change everything at once. So exchanging things, if you do know that you're an evening snacker, try and reduce the damage that's being done or the calories and, and just find ways just step by step to be okay with the changes that you're making rather than trying to change the whole world in a day because it will never be sustainable. It will feel like a punishment and you're just yeah. much more likely to go in the wrong direction. Like you said, the, the swing will just be much heavier as it goes back in the other direction. And I wanted to ask Amy, because the work that you do working with clients, you know, as a health and weight loss coach, how could people find out more about the work that you do? And Sure. So the doctor that I work with, he is licensed in nearly 50 states in the United States. We do have an app that is okay. available worldwide. It's a community of like-minded people. Most of us are un in some version of doing some version of low carb. If you go to the the website is Dr. Tro, doctor spelled out, D-O-C-T-O-R-T-R-O.com. Um, you will find a link in there to, the, to our community. Um, you can find it in the app store, search doctor spelled out Tro. If you go to the iPhone store or the Android store, you'll find it there. Um, but yeah, we have a, there's a lot of, of free resources in there, including an awesome community of almost 11,000 people who are at various points in their weight loss journey, just sort of supporting each other. We have weekly meetings. We have a full weight loss curriculum of articles and medical articles, fully cited evidence-based medical articles. We do weekly meetings, webinars, all sorts of things. You know, some of that is paid content, but there's a whole bunch of content in there, including the community of people in there that it's available for anybody that downloads the app. Yeah, it's it's an awesome, it's an awesome way to kind of help support each other. We do quarterly challenges, you know, and again, we, we, a lot of us firmly believe in low carb because it's been so transformative and it's been so life-saving for most of us. But we, as I said, I could break any diet. I have broken Weight Watchers a million times. I'm sure that I could break Slimming. Is it Slimming World? You Slimming have? World in the UK, which is yeah. quite similar to Weight Watchers. I'm yeah. sure that I could break that in a heartbeat. But I think really what we do is we kind of address that food relationship issue and we try to tell people and educate people on how it's not their fault, but it is our responsibility ultimately, mm -hmm. you know? And so, you know, when we remove that shame and blame, worlds can open up. That's amazing. You know? And you can, you can get, you can make a change. The shame usually just kind of drives us 
100 miles an hour in the wrong direction. Of course. And I think as well, what makes this app really helpful and, and I'm sure gives hope, which is what we discussed earlier to so many people, but knowing as well that the community has people like yourself who have been through such a dramatic transformation <laughs> and come from a place where for many years thought it would never happen. And even if you are listening to this and you feel like that right now, I think it's important to know that there are people who are willing to support you and hold that space for you until you are able to hold it yourself. Because so many years of essentially failing your objective of trying to lose weight. And I say that with compassion, but that's how it feels. Mm -hmm. And then being told, actually, no, you can do it. Of course, there's a lot of resistance there, a lot of feeling that, no, I can't because I've tried so many times. I can't do it. And like you said, to the, to the point where you feel that you're broken in many aspects. And sometimes you just need that hope. Sometimes you just need someone to help show you that way. And I'm going to put uh, links to the app and to awesome. Dr. Tro's um, website as well, just because I think, you know, it's been an amazing conversation, Amy, very, very inspiring to hear your journey and congratulations once more on everything you've achieved. Thank you. But even more so for the fact that you now use that painful experience to help others and show that there is hope to other people as well. Thank you so much for being on the show today, Amy. It's been a pleasure to speak to you. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome. Thanks and take care of yourself. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. I'd also like to say a big thank you to you, our listeners. I appreciate you joining us at the Weight Loss Warrior podcast and would love that you become part of our tribe. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe to our podcast to never miss a new weight loss warrior tell their story. We share brand new episodes every single Monday and Thursday and hope that you join us next time. You can also find us on Instagram where we share great tips and advice on how you can lose weight in a safe and sustainable way. Simply search for Weight Loss Warrior Podcast and follow us today. Remember, be kind to yourself and keep looking forward. You can achieve your goals.